0: afternoon everyone, my name is Tim Phillips. I'm president of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us uh, for this discussion with a very special guest from the delegation in North Carolina. Uh, As you know, Americans for Prosperity, we've got over three and a half million grassroots activists from every state, from every walk of life, and full-time permanent infrastructure, staff on the ground in 35 states from Alaska to Florida, from New Hampshire to Arizona, and gosh, just about everywhere in between. Uh, last week, the the House took some action that was, frankly, just uh, we believe, disastrous. As we move forward for this country, we have a special guest to talk a bit about that and kind of where we go from here, and some of the other big threats, and frankly, to talk about why it's such a bad idea to spend another 1.9 trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when it's not even really related, the vast majority of it to this pandemic. So, we're going to talk about that. Uh, I'm joined by Chris McCoy, our intrepid Americans for Prosperity State Director from the great state of North Carolina. Chris, thanks for all you're doing there. Take it away.
1: Hey, thanks, Tim. Uh, and, you know, I want to take a moment to introduce our, our esteemed guest. Uh, today, we have Congressman Richard Hudson. He is the Congressman from the 8th Congressional District here in North Carolina. Very excited to have him uh, here with us. Um, congressman, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your day to uh, to chat with us over these important issues.
2: Well, it's great to be with you, Chris and Tim, and, and thank you for what you all do and, and all those folks watching us uh, who, back at home who, who volunteered their own time to, to get out and, and get really fight for this country, and, and really push back, this, uh, you know, all the, the garbage that's coming out of Washington, the, the, uh, the push towards social, uh, you guys
1: are standing in the gap, and I appreciate you very much. No, thank you very much. So, you know, speaking of that, all the stuff that's coming out of Washington right now, and Tim alluded to it a little bit ago, um, you know, there's been some, some pretty big movement on some uh, legislation coming out, and some of that involves a lot of spending, and specifically, you know, bailouts and bailing out uh, other states and so forth. Um, can you give us a little bit of a insight on on where you sit on on those particular issues, and specifically around the bailouts?
2: Sure, well, Chris, um, last week was a bad week for America. Um, Nancy Pelosi rushed to the floor a 1.9 trillion dollar spending bill. Uh, they called it COVID relief, but less than nine percent of the bill actually went to fight COVID. And something like less than 1% actually went to, uh, to push vaccine uh, distribution, uh, $1.9 trillion. That's about what Congress spends in two years to fund the, the entire federal government. Uh, just a tremendous amount of money on top of 4 uh, trillion that we've already uh, borrowed and, and spent uh, on this COVID pandemic. So if you look at the total amount of spending with this new bill, it's six times bigger than Obama's stimulus bill back in 09. I think, Tim, you're muted there.
0: I had the dreaded mute button on. I apologize for that, guys. I was trying not to make background noise. Very sorry. But when you're talking about this legislation, I remember 2009 when then President Barack Obama and, and Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, back in the day when he was Majority Leader in the Senate, they passed uh, a $949 billion stimulus. That sounds almost quaint by the numbers now we're talking about, right? I mean, we're talking about multi-trillion dollar bills, but you mentioned the bailouts uh, for big spending states. It's right at $400 billion. And it's really not fair to a state like North Carolina. I mean, you guys know state's perfect, obviously, but you've got a legislature that, that tries to hold the line uh, within reason, and certainly it's more frugal than a state like New York or New Jersey or Illinois. But under this legislation, states like North Carolina or Florida or Georgia or Texas or Wisconsin, they're going to be sending money basically to states that are horrifically mismanaged like California, Illinois, New York. And, and it, it's, it's to a point beyond even spending its basic fairness. I mean, isn't that a fair point to make?
2: It's a great point to make, and, and again, this isn't money we've got sitting around, and you know it's burning a hole in our pocket. This is money we're borrowing, um, and you know, like you said, almost 400 billion going to states, uh, 41 billion of that to California alone. You know, California's got a 10 billion dollar budget surplus this year. They haven't been impacted by COVID, uh, you know, in terms of their their income and money and their but to fund their state budget. Yeah, we're going to borrow money from my children, your children. Uh, and send it to California so they can spend it. Uh, A lot of this money is going to states that were shut down. Uh, A lot of it's going to states that have uh, these exorbitant pension funds they've negotiated with their unions uh, that they now can't afford. Uh, And so states like North Carolina, we're a right-to-work state, uh, we're going to be funding these pensions for places like Chicago and New York and other places, uh, that that these giveaways to to labor unions. Uh, It's just not right.
0: Yeah. Chris.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, um, you know, we've done a lot of work here in North Carolina right over the last uh, decade, and we've set ourselves up pretty well. And, you know, as you as you alluded to there pretty directly, um, you know, you're given, we're funding these other states at the expense of states like North Carolina, who were responsible in, in spending early on with that front. So, um, you know, I appreciate you, you making that point and, and talking directly into that, especially when it comes to the unionization aspect of it, where, you know, we are a right to work state, right? And we are looking at having to fund those aspects online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, the other thing
2: about this that's so wrong, in my opinion, is of the four, the four, three bills that we've already, uh, four bills that we've already passed in Congress, we still have a trillion dollars unspent. And so all this money that we've already appropriated is sitting out there, including, uh, I've got a list here, 280 billion uh, sitting in the Paycheck Protection Program, 239 billion for healthcare spending, uh, 172 economic injury disaster loans still sitting there. Unemployment insurance has $172 billion. Uh, Education funding, $59 billion that hasn't been spent. And, And all this new money we just, voted on last Friday night, uh, I guess Saturday at 2 AM. Uh, it's all this money for education. The president says, we've got to pass it now so we can reopen schools. Well, the money, 95% of that education money is not going to be spent until the year 2022 and beyond. Uh, most of it as far out as 2028. And so you know, they're calling this an emergency. They're calling it a COVID relief bill, but it's not that. It's a payoff to liberal special interests, uh, it's, and again, it's money we're borrowing from our trip over the
0: Yeah, uh, it's a disgrace. And, and it's worth pointing out what just amplifying what you just said, Congressman. This is not just for this fiscal year. They're packing in like a Christmas tree type setting from an ideological perspective, a liberal ideological perspective. They're packing in spending for pet projects and pet states uh, for 2022, 23. And beyond so this is a multi-year spending spree for special interest in this case on the left and it it really is maddening to see if you're watching and you want to make your voice heard now that it's moved over to the senate click on the i volunteer link that's appearing here in the facebook live the i volunteer link make your voices heard to your two senators. you can put your zip code in and also it will connect you so that your house member will will also know it in case it comes back there or for future spending bills, uh, they'll they'll hear they will have heard from you. It only takes about ninety seconds. It's fast. It's easy. And, and Congressman, I'll, I'll just mention you. I, I know I I was a chief of staff on Capitol Hill uh, at one point. I know that back then members and their their staffs kept pretty careful track of the number of folks back home who were reaching out to them. And it it mattered, it either encouraged them if they were doing the right thing to hear from folks or it made them a little nervous if they were on the other side. Give us a sense if that's still the case and the impact it makes when folks take the time to reach out to their house member and their Senate members.
2: That's a great point Sam. And I think it is so important that people hear from their constituents. You know, I, I get about a thousand letters and emails a week uh, the ones that are not for my constituents kind of go in a separate pile. Uh, the ones that are from my district, those matter, and you know we make sure we get a response to everyone. Uh, but also, I keep track of what's coming in, you know, and I can't tell you that it's going to necessarily change my vote or or, or you know what I'm going to do. But if if a vast majority of people are writing in on on a topic and and they have a different point of view than the one I thought I, would, I had, I'm going to pause and take another look at it. Uh, You know, I'm not one of these people that takes a poll before every vote. You know, my philosophy is I was elected by my constituents to come here and and get information that they aren't all privy to and make the best decisions I can based on my principles and what I think is in the best interest of my constituents in the country. So, you know, a lot of times it's not going to necessarily change my vote. But if I'm hearing from a lot of folks, uh, and it's it's sort of contrary to the way I was thinking, it certainly gives me pause to stop and think about it. Uh, You know, and I, I would guess that there's a lot of folks out there that, that, you know, maybe they don't have a strong
0: principle. Yeah.
2: yeah. When it comes to some of these votes and, and your impacts, you're, you're reaching out to them, we're going to have a bigger.
0: Yeah. A uh, quick question. I know there's been a lot of talk about the minimum yeah. wage increase that was, that that's in this. Can you explain uh, to folks briefly what that, where that stands as it the, the the version that came out so of House encourage that everyone stands. to
2: continue to uh, to contact your
0: representatives. And again, the Henry I think we might be freezing up a little bit, uh, Congressman. Uh, on the on the uh, minimum wage increase that was has been in this legislation at different points. There's been a lot of discussion on it. Can you give us a sense of where that stands, as well as part of this legislation?
2: Well, that's one where where folks out there can can still have an impact when it comes to the Senate, because it only takes you know, one Democrat senator to oppose uh, adding that minimum wage. Uh, the parliamentarians ruled it doesn't fit in the rules of the reconciliation package, but uh, and Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, said he'll oppose it, uh, which is which is good news, uh, but but. Uh, you know, that minimum wage increase would be just terrible for our country. We would lose approximately, according to the Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan uh, analysis, we're talking about 1.4 million jobs lost uh, with the, the minimum wage increasing. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of important entry-level jobs out there, and it's working people who would, who would be hurt the most. Uh, if, if you want to help folks who are on the lower age bracket or wage bracket, uh, Donald Trump showed the way to do it through tax cuts and deregulation. Uh, we created the greatest economy any of us have seen in our lifetime, The uh, Congress working together with President Trump. You look at what the economy was doing last January, February, we had the lowest unemployment uh, ever uh, for African-Americans, for women, for Asian-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, uh, but you also saw real wage growth. You saw people at the bottom end of the wage scale actually making more money. Their wages were going up. Because the economy was improving and pulling them up with it. That's the way you want to improve it, improve it not by setting a minimum wage, uh, which all that will do is eliminate.
0: Yeah, uh, Chris McCoy. From the standpoint of AAP North Carolina, I know that your team across the state and our field offices across that state and our activists have been very active on both the minimum wage efforts uh, and the spending efforts. Give us a sense of what it's like on the ground with our grassroots folks. Are they are they discouraged? Are they they are they in the fight? Kind of where are they right now in North Carolina?
1: You know, I think um, I'll I even think this. I know that they're in the fight. Um, they know what we have before us. They know the consequences of, of these things. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of small business owners, you know, my best friend is a, a Domino's, um, owner in several uh, stores there. And he was telling me the impact that moving to $15 an hour is going to have on, on him. It's, it's going to cripple uh, his business. And I've heard that from several other, uh, business owners here in the state. And then we talk about our grassroots, um, teams and our volunteers and everybody that that comes together behind AFP North Carolina and helps us uh, you know really get these messages out and contact our legislators and contact voters and constituents they're in the fight they understand what we have before us they understand that you know we're mortgaging um, our kids and grandkids future with this level of spending they understand what it's going to do to um, small businesses when you have to jack up the the uh, minimum wage like this Um, you know doubling the minimum wage essentially um, at this point is something that a lot of people can't handle. And uh, a lot of businesses specifically, we all understand that. And they're co-lacing behind this. Um, You know, we're having a lot of activity and a lot of conversations about this. There's a lot of energy that's starting to really take hold um, around these issues. And it's exciting to see from that aspect of it, because, you know, people want to be engaged and they want to have their voice heard and they want to be active in this. Um, So, you know, I look for some great things coming down the line um, as far as where our activists are on this stuff. Hopefully, um, you know, we're going to be making those differences and, you know, that's the key to AFP North Carolina, right? We want to take these issues, put them front and center, allow our activists to be able to engage um, their communities and be able to get this word out to, to tell them how bad this, this sort of legislation is.
0: Yeah. Congressman Hudson,
1: I, I, I did
0: not see the final breakdown of the vote on this $1.9 trillion uh, boondoggle from Biden and Pelosi, but I know that the vast, vast majority of your Republican colleagues in the House voted no. D- do you feel like the, the, the Republican caucus is relatively united on these kinds of issues, because boy, we've got some big ones coming up as well. They're they're talking about a lot of big pro union uh, stuff coming up, and and we're concerned about a broader public option on the, the 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 healthcare side. I mean, there's there's just a lot of threats coming our way. Do you, do you feel like your fellow caucus members are pretty united at this point?
2: Absolutely, Tim. Um, you know, I'm I'm a member of our leadership as the conference secretary. I'm also a deputy whip. And I was proud we were able to hold all of our Republicans to vote no. Um, and really, the only bipartisan vote was the no vote because two Democrats actually voted
0: with us. Uh, you know what? By the way, thank you for telling me that. I'm, it ha- the vote had happened so late. I knew mm-hmm. that I, I wasn't it's different. Different. But, 2 but was Republican.
2: Yeah, every single Republican voted no. Good. And that was well, important. And, and frankly, I've never seen our conference more unified. Good. Um, you know, the Democrat, the, Demo- the media, I'm about to say the Democrats, same thing. The media uh, <laughs> loves to write the story that Republicans are divided. Not, you know, there, there may be one or two that, you know, have, have sort of gone their own path uh, on, on any given issue, but our conference is united and, and we're together and, and we're, we're you know, going to stand against, you know, all this that's coming from Pelosi. Uh, we also are very united on the point that, that we are the party of the working men and women. You know, the yeah. American first agenda, President Trump may not be here anymore, but the America first agenda is still the Republican Party agenda in Congress. And, and we're going to continue to be that voice for the, for the forgotten and, and the hardworking men and women out there. Uh, we're going to we're going to work hard to hold the coalition together and grow the coalition.
0: Yeah. You know, that's encouraging. Every single Republican voting note. Good for the caucus and Leader McCarthy and yourself and the others. Good for the caucus, Congressman Scalise. I, I think back, I, I, I've been around a while, I guess, but I remember 2009, we mentioned earlier, that first vote that took place on that stimulus, so-called stimulus bill, they never seemed to stimulate things. Remember, even Joe Biden back then finally had to admit sheepishly, well, we didn't have as many shovel-ready projects as we thought. Do you remember that, Congressman? I mean, I know I do, but uh, the every Republican in the House I'd voted no there i remember and it helped unite them for some of the really tough battles that that were ahead on the size of government and trying to stop these top-down approaches from washington dc so that that is really encouraging uh before we go i know we've got some tough challenges you know the, the working to get out of this pandemic reopen the economy in a way that uh, we need to to get folks back in their lives again there's a lot of challenges Uh, But I know you travel your district a lot. I know in leadership, you talk to a lot of your colleagues. Take a minute or two, if you would, and and tell us why you're optimistic, because I've talked to you before. Uh, That optimism kind of shines through whenever I listen to you. Give me a sense and give the folks watching a sense of why, despite the challenges we're facing, and they're real, and they're big, and the disagreements are big, but there's a lot of reason for optimism and hope in this country of ours, right? Right.
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, you look at this last election, uh, Republicans won every competitive race except one open seat in Georgia. So 28 of the 29 most competitive races around the country. We picked up 15 seats when all the critics said we'd lose 20 plus seats. Uh, and it's because we were listening to the American people and we're still listening to the American people. We know that the priorities right now are reopening schools, reopen our businesses, get the vaccine distributed as quickly as possible. Get get back to our lives, and uh, and we're going to stay focused on that. And and you look at the the prospects of taking the majority back in the house in 2022, just next year.
0: Uh,
2: I believe we're going to do it. We're only five votes short. Uh, if you look at redistricting, Republicans control over 170 of those seats through Republican legislatures redistricting. Democrats control less than 75. Uh, just so structurally, we're going to be in strong shape coming out of redistricting. Then you look at the historical trends, uh, a new president in the first midterm, their party usually loses between 20 and 27 seats in the House. Um, so we've got that going for us. And then you look at the policies coming from the president with his executive orders and from Pelosi in the House. It's all left wing garbage. It's all messaging uh, and, and things are going to destroy jobs. It's things that are going to hurt our economy. It takes us off the path that we we're on before uh, with the America First agenda, which will secure our borders, uh, you know, create jobs here in this country by getting the federal government out of the way, uh, and a strong national uh, foreign policy. Uh, and, and they are moving in the opposite direction. So I think the American people are going to be with us. I think they're going to be willing to hear our case when we take it to them in the next election. And I think structurally, we're going to be a great shape uh, to take back the House. So, so I'm very, very bullish about it.
0: Yeah, Uh, Chris McCoy before and by the way, uh, thank you for your vote, uh, especially I I know you were doing it anyway, of course, but just thank you. A lot of folks back home have your have your back when 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 you guys are fighting the fight like you did on this one point nine trillion. And and I think about these executive orders over 40 of them now. It's just I'm going to be in New Mexico with our activists on Thursday and they're being devastated in New Mexico. By the executive orders that that don't allow any energy exploration on federal lands and, and a lot of good paying jobs and a lot of folks in convenience stores and others who you know to rely on those energy jobs for for customers they're hurting because of those executive orders and there's there's just they're across the board so uh, i'm glad you mentioned that because i we had not we had not brought that up uh, Chris McCoy, go ahead and wrap up for us with the last word. Take a moment on what North Carolina AFP is doing, if you would.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tim. Um, again, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, AFP North Carolina, we're in the fight on on these issues, and we're in the fight hard on these issues. Um, we'd love to have, you know, everybody partnering with us throughout this. So if you're watching this, you haven't been a partner of AFP, please click the link. There's an opportunity to... Get more information, and somebody from my team or myself will be in touch with you directly. But you know, we're going to be in this as long as it takes. Uh, we're going to have a, a large push, and we're excited actually. Um, you know, I share the optimism of, of where we're going to be down the line, and all this work is going to be for, for a good cause with that. So, with all that, I want to thank you for the opportunity to. To speak with you, Congressman, today. It was great seeing you again, um, and I look forward to seeing you in person whenever that actually uh, is is an availability uh, coming down the line, but uh, Tim, uh, Congressman Hudson, thank you so much for your uh, time today, and I appreciate the opportunity to having this conversation. You bet. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman.